I'd like to borrow a story from our neighbors to the south this evening. He was a 34-year-old school teacher of language and rhetoric, but it was a hot, humid day in July 1863. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was in the fight of his life. He was now a colonel in the Union Army. He stood at Little Round Top at the far edge of a group of 80,000 men, strung out in a line across fields and hills, valleys and streams, stretching all the way to a little town called Gettysburg. Earlier that day, Colonel Vincent had placed Chamberlain and his men of the 20th at the end of that line saying, whatever you do, you can't let them come through here. Chamberlain couldn't withdraw and he, know, he knew it. If the Confederate army overran them, then the rebels would gain the high ground and the Union army would quickly be defeated. In essence, 80,000 men would be caught from behind on a downhill charge with no protection. To win, the gray-clad Confederates would have to come through this school teacher named Joshua Chamberlain. It was 2.30 p.m. the first charge came from the 15th and 47th regiments. They attacked uphill, running as fast as they could and firing at Chamberlain's men who were stationed behind a rock wall that they had just thrown up that very morning. The 20th stopped the rebel charge and pushed them back down the slope only to face a second and then a third charge. On the fourth assault, Chamberlain was knocked down by a bullet that hit him dead center in the belt buckle. Realizing that he wasn't seriously hurt, the colonel scrambled to his feet and continued to fight. Again, they halted the enemy's charge and again, the rebels retreated down the hill. At that time in history, battles were fought with artillery and small arms ammunitions. The struggles were close. They were face-to-face -face affairs. They literally could see one another's whites of the eyes when they were fighting. With their fourth charge, the Confederates almost made it to the wall. That thigh-high stack of flat rocks ran almost 110 yards in length. And so as they huddled behind the wall, they waited for that fifth charge. Chamberlain felt sorry for his men. He later recalled their leader, referring to himself, had no real knowledge of warfare or tactics. I was only a stubborn man, and that was my greatest advantage in this fight. I had, deep within me, the ability to do nothing. Can I just remind somebody that when you, knew, when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Chamberlain continued, he said, I knew I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. I would not die in retreat. I am at least like the Apostle Paul who wrote, this one thing I do, I press toward the mark. I just, I just like to remind somebody tonight that if you've got nothing left that you know to do, do this, press toward the mark. You, you may be uncertain about what tomorrow is going to bring, but can I remind somebody tonight, press toward the mark. You, you may not be certain of where the next paycheck is going to come from, but if you'll just get this settled in your spirit, I'm going to press toward the mark. God can use somebody with an attitude like that. God can use somebody with an attitude like that. The attack came again on this, the fifth charge, the 15th and the 47th uh, Alabama broke open the wall and fighting raged on both sides. Without time to reload, the men were swinging their rifles at each other and brawling with fists and knives and somehow the 20th of Maine, led by Chamberlain, pushed the rebels downhill one more time. 
After that fifth broken charge, Chamberlain's younger brother appeared with Sergeant Tozier. Mr. Tozier was an old, hard-nosed soldier. He had a thick wad of torn shirt stuck into a hole in his shoulder where he had been wounded. No help from the 83rd, the sergeant said. They're shot to ribbons, and all they can do is extend the line a bit. We're getting murdered on our flank. Can we extend, Chamberlain asked. There is nothing to extend, Tom answered. More than half our men are down. It was true. Chamberlain's command had started in Bangor, Maine six months earlier with 1,000 men. They'd started that morning with 300. They were down that many men, 700 men. And now they were down to just 80. How are we for ammunition, the colonel asked. We've been shooting a lot, was his brother's answer. He said, I know we've been shooting a lot, but how much ammunition do we have? As Tom ran to check, the 12-year-old lookout climbed a tree. He yelled, they're forming up again, Colonel. Chamberlain looked up to see the boy pointing down the hill. They're forming up right now, and they've been reinforced. Sir, there's a lot more of them this time. At that moment, a messenger stumbled into their midst out of breath. He said, sir, Colonel Chamberlain, sir, Colonel Vincent is dead. Are you sure, soldier? Yes, sir, he gasped. He was shot right at the first of the fight. They were firmed up by Weed's brigade, but now Weed's is dead. They moved Hazlitt's battery up on top. Hazlitt's dead now, too. Chamberlain's brother came running back. Joshua, he said, we're out one, two rounds per man. At the most, some of the men don't have anything at all. Chamberlain turned to a thin man standing on his right. It was the first Sergeant Ellis Spear. Spear, he ordered, tell the boys to take the ammunition from the wounded and the dead. We did that last time, sir, Spear replied. Maybe we should think about pulling out. Chamberlain responded grimly. We will not be pulling out, Sergeant. Carry out my orders, please. Colonel Sergeant Tozier, the aged wisdom among them, spoke up. We, we'll, we can't hold them again, sir. You know that we won't. Joshua, Tom, his brother said, here they come. Here they come. Chamberlain stepped up on top of the wall in full view of the advancing army. He crossed his arms and stared down at them. The 15th and 47th of Alabama were facing his way. With their pale yellow-gray uniforms, they were now reinforced by a Texas regiment, and they moved up the hill as their high-pitched shriek, the rebel yell, coursed up toward Chamberlain and his men. Sergeant Spear was standing at the colonel's feet. Sergeant Tozier and Chamberlain's brother Tom, Lieutenant Melker, the flag bearer, were huddled below. Joshua, his brother, said, do something. Give an order. Chamberlain stood there for a moment, deep in thought, quickly sorting out the situation. We can't retreat, he thought, but we can't stay here. And when I'm faced with the choice of doing nothing or doing something, I'll always choose to act. He turned his back on the advancing rebels. He looked down at his men, and he said, fix bayonets. At first, no one moved. They just stared at him with their mouths wide open. Fix your bayonets now, he commanded. Execute a great white wheel to the entire regiment. Swing the left first. Do it now. Lieutenant Melkor spoke first, confused. Sir, he asked, what is a great right wheel? But the colonel had already jumped from the wall and was moving toward the next group of men. Sergeant Tozier, Tozier, the aged man among them, answered the question. He means to charge, son. A great right wheel is an all-out charge. Then turning, the colonel pointed his sword directly down the hill, facing overwhelming odds. Chamberlain slashed his blade through the air, and with the power born out of courage and some out of fear, the school teacher from Maine roared, Charge! 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 To his men. The remaining 80 men lifted their voices to match that of the leader and charge 
charge, charge, they did. They cried out, tumbling over the wall into history that most people have never heard of. For when the Confederate troops saw Chamberlain, the leader of the opposition, mount the wall, they immediately stopped. Unsure of what, of what, as what to what was happening, their rebel yell was silenced, and as the colonel pointed his sword toward them and commanded his men to charge, they, in confusion and absolute uncertainty of what was going on, turned and ran away. Many laid down their own loaded weapons because of someone with nothing chose to act. The rebels were certain that this was not the same group of soldiers that they had advanced on five times. Surely these men had been reinforced, they thought. The beaten regiment would not charge. In less than five minutes, Chamberlain had his sword on the collarbone of a Confederate captain. You, sir, are my prisoner, he stated. The man turned around a fully loaded Navy Colt revolver and passed it to Mr. Chamberlain. Yes, sir, he answered. I am. Within five more minutes, that ragged group of 80 men under Chamberlain's command without any ammunition captured over 400 soldiers of the enemy. One of the men approached Chamberlain. One of his own men approached him and said, Sir, I have no ammunition. Chamberlain got close to his ear and whispered back, Don't tell them that. It's an amazing story, and it's true. As a matter of fact, historians would go on later to determine that if Chamberlain had not charged that day, the rebels would not have, would, sorry, the rebels would have won at Gettysburg. Further, historians tell us that had the rebels won at Gettysburg, the South would have won the war, and the war itself would have been over by the end of the summer. Most people assume that had the South won the war, today we would have uh, two countries to the south of us, the Union and the Confederacy. Historians, however, insist that if the South had won the war, we would now live on a territorially fragmented continent much like that of Europe. If so, not just the U.S., but Canada, North America would be divided into somewhere between 9 and 13 countries. Which means that when Hitler swept across Europe in the 1940s, had Chamberlain not charged on that hot summer Sunday afternoon so long ago, the United States of America would not have existed the way it did, nor would Canada exist to stand in the gap to fight in those moments. We would have a very different world if it wasn't for a school teacher who decided to act. Sometimes I wonder if we're waiting for all the wrong things when God is just looking for someone who's willing to say, it doesn't matter what I have, I'm willing to work with whatever God has left me with. Sometimes we've got to realize that when we are down to nothing, God is absolutely up to something. And if we're not careful, we can get so focused on what we've lost and the things that we don't have that we forget about the fact that God is the God of whatever is left in your life. Not only is he a Lord of what you've lost, but he is the God of whatever you've got. God does not need what you think you don't have. I'll just put a little scripture with it this evening. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It doesn't matter what we don't have as far as the world is concerned. It just matters that there are people that realize if I've got God, I've got whatever I need. If I've got him on my side, it doesn't matter what comes my way. If the Lord is fighting for me, who could stand against me? I, I just feel a little faith rising in the room for a moment because sometimes the enemy is intimidating and sometimes it feels like we've had the fourth and the fifth attack but God is looking for someone
in. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. In this season that we are walking through right now, it is easy sometimes to wait for the orders to come down from headquarters. It's easy sometimes for us to just kind of stand by and wait to be told what we should do next. Can I just remind you that our orders come from this book and the Bible is reminding the church that we've got a world to win, that we've got a fight to fight. Come on, we've got an enemy that's waging a war and it's not time for us to sit back. It's time for somebody to stand up and fight the good fight of faith. Oh, go ahead. Why don't you just take and worship God for a moment and thank Him for whatever you do have. You know, we... Pastor Matt mentioned that we were, <clears throat> we were just over in PEI for the last few days, Kathy and I, and, and it, was, it was so exciting. It was a smaller group of people. There may have been about 100 people that joined together on Thursday evening, maybe a few more on Friday evening and, and Saturday. About, but it was, it was refreshing to stand in that room and worship God with those people because they, they come from various parts of the island, from the east all the way to the west, from Surrey and and the southern parts and the northern parts, and, and they're kind of all congregated right there in Borden. And uh, w when we went in, now I'm, I'm coming off a youth or youth convention. This place was hopping last weekend. And I, I was sore on Monday, and yes, we get sore after church on Sunday sometimes. <clears throat> We're bouncing up and down, and Working the aisles and working the altars. And, and uh, <clears throat> so I, I'm coming off of a hot weekend as it is at CCC. And, and we go into that uh, conference center. And the room had been turned into a church building. And people were gathered together. And as they began to sing, they had the PA. And it, it was there like six feet away from me. But the worship of those people was literally thundering. It was so loud. It was a, a wooden room. It was a wooden ceiling and a, all wood walls. And the noise was just bouncing in the room. And I thought, these people, these people have waited so long to do this together. It was refreshing. I know that maybe we went to try and be an encouragement, but, but I left encouraged about the people of God there that were just, they, they just wanted something to worship for worship about. Hey, Kathy said, you could have preached anything. You could have preached, you know, hot chocolate, hot chocolate, hot chocolate. <laughs> what? It, it, seriously, it was like, it's been a little while since you had to just kind of wait and say, calm people down so you could, you could kind of say what you needed to say or what you thought you needed to say. They were, they were just so excited to be together. And it, <clears throat> Friday night, it was 20 after 10 and they were grabbing the instruments and pulling everybody back in. I was like, Kath, we got to get out of here. <laughs> They're having church. They're just, last, I, I left in my CRV. I think they were singing, I'm just warming up. <laughs> I'm just warming up. I said, oh, Lord, I haven't got, I just don't have it. It's been a busy week. 
But they were just so... And sometimes we think, well, smaller churches, they don't, they don't have a lot. They're people. But let me tell you, they had everything that they needed. They, they had everything that, that we could have wanted in those services. The power of God fell. People were just moved by God's presence and God's power. They were so excited. And, and if we're not careful, we look and say, well, they, they don't have a whole lot. No, they do. They have everything that they need. And the spirit of prophecy fell in that room. And, and God began to just kind of relay. There's going to revival from the east to the west to the north to the south. I still got a little bit of that on me today. And I'm just come to declare God still has a revival. We may as well start right here in our own city and say from the north to the south to the east and to the west and let's not stop there let's pray about what God would want to do in our region and what God would want to do in our province what God would want to do in our nation in our world I believe God's not finished let's not look at what we don't have I've come to declare we've got whatever we need Would someone just declare that with me in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It was Moses who got caught where we get caught sometimes. He's just had the burning bush experience. He's encountered God Almighty. The I am that I am has stopped him on his tracks and slowed his roll and arrested his advance and he's taken his shoes off and he's in a conversation with the king of kings and the lord of lords and God's commissioning him and God's challenging him but Moses is just like me Moses answers God and he said but behold they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice for they will say the lord hath not appeared unto thee you see, Moses had a lot in his past. Let's, let's be mindful. Why is Moses in this position? Why has he got this mental struggle? Why, why does he have this mentality that they aren't going to believe me? They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to, you know, trust me. They're, they're, he's just got all these, these no's mounting up. See, Moses had a lot in his past. You got to remember, he was the prince of Egypt. That's what the, the cartoon calls him. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He knew what it was like to be prosperous. He knew what it was like to walk into a room and everybody stop because he was the most powerful person in the room. He, he knew what it was like that when he spoke, someone would listen because he was Pharaoh's, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But the Bible says that when, when Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had rec respect unto the recompense of the, ward, of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses says all the right things like many of us have. Many of you have given up a whole lot, but God is waiting for our, our mentality to shift. Like, like Moses, we can say we, we, we gave that up for the cause of Christ. We gave that up so we could give our lives to God, but God is waiting for our mentality to shift. And that's why God had the conversation with Moses on the backside of a desert next to a burning bush was because he needed to adjust Moses' mentality. Moses was still missing what he lost. 
They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to trust me. So God, in that moment, you know, he, he, he talks to Moses and he said, The Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? Moses didn't have anything else. For one, he was on a journey. Two, he had given it all up. But there he said, I've got a rod. And God said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. And God said that he did that, that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of, <clears throat> the God of Jacob hath appeared unto me. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it turned again as his other hand. So Moses literally has nothing but the walking stick that he went on the journey with. But that was enough. God said, you know what I need? I need what you've already got. I don't need whatever you gave up in Pharaoh's palace. I don't need whatever you left behind in the storehouse in Egypt. I don't need whatever you feel like you gave up. I don't need your authority that you thought you possessed. I, I don't need any of that. I, as a matter of fact, you just put your hand in your bosom and bring it back out, and that's enough. Can I, can I just let somebody know that you've got enough to change the world that you're a part of? You've got whatever it takes. Whatever you came in with on the journey that you're on right now is enough for God to use God wants to use your voice God wants to use your influence God wants to use whatever opportunity he places in your path and not just so you can do some mindful little thing for God God is going to put you before men and women of authority and power and God is going to embolden you God is going to challenge you and you're going to say charge 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 I need someone with the attitude of Joshua Chamberlain to rise to their feet for a moment tonight and say God I'm willing to go. God, I'm willing to pray. God, I'm willing to preach whatever that may look like. I'm willing to teach. I'm willing to be my part in the kingdom of God. I want to do whatever you want me to do with whatever I've got. He's the God of what's left. Moses was looking for what he had lost, but God was reminding him, I'm the God of whatever you've got left, Moses. It's enough. And if you begin to think about it through Scripture, just allow me a few minutes to walk down through a few ideas and a few illustrations today and just remind everybody that you've got what it takes. Let me just, let me just throw these out there. Five loaves and two fishes. But 5,000 are fed. Why? Because... That's all God needed. He just needed with whatever was left. There was people that came empty-handed, but there was one boy with one lunch, and if that was all that there was, he's the Lord of whatever was left. Let, let, let's just remind you that God can do great things with very little. All he needs is someone with the courage to say, I'm willing to give whatever I've got left. Whatever I've got left. It was four leprous men in 2 Kings chapter 7. They were at the entering in of the gate they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? There's a famine in the land. So they say, if we enter into the city, then the famine is in the city. We're going to die there. But if we sit 
still here we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Now think about it. This isn't the most influential individuals of Israel. These are just four leprous men. They now have defined their living by begging. They, they don't have anything, especially in a season of famine. They've got nothing. But they begin to shuffle toward the camp of the Syrians. But I, I'll just remind somebody tonight that that's enough. God just needs someone that's willing to get up and get going. God just needs someone that's willing to stand up and say, well, you know what? If we sit here, we're just going to die. I'm not going to die that way. I, I think that that attitude of Chamberlain said I was a man who was not willing to do nothing. Something has got to happen. Someone's got to rise up. Someone's got to make a change in our community. Someone's going to make a change in our church. Someone's going to make a change in our city. And I just believe that it's someone that says, why sit we here until we die? I'm not waiting. We're not waiting for people to get it all together. We're not waiting for you to recite a 12-point course. We don't need you to memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and recite it back verbatim to us. We just need someone that's got a message of the gospel that says God can turn your life around. And that's enough. If somebody's willing to get up, he's the God of whatever's left. I'll go a step further. It may be that you felt like you failed God. It may be that you felt like you had it and now you don't. I just like to remind somebody he's the God of what you've got left. It's enough. You don't, have to, you don't have to live in shame forever. You don't have to stay seated forever. Why sit we here until we die? I'd like to remind someone, right now is the right time to rise up. Right now is the right time to go on into the purpose and the plan that God has for you. God has a plan for your life. We come back to the music tonight. The Bible tells us that, that Syrian hosts, that God amplified the feet of those leprous men and they began to hear the rumbling and the thunder of chariots and horses hooves until they got up and they got out and they left everything behind they left food behind they left silver behind they left gold behind and when the leprous men got to the camp everything was there waiting for them simply because God was the God of what was left he still is the master of the scattered. As a matter of fact, I mentioned the feeding of the 5,000. God didn't even allow the scraps to be left behind. Jesus said when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. God's not going to lose anything along the way. When we bring it to him, God is so concerned about what's left. He's the God of what's left, that he wants it all gathered up so that nothing is lost. It's a simple reminder tonight and a simple message for somebody that God is the Lord of whatever is left in your life tonight. It was Elijah the Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. He said unto Ahab, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, there's not going to be any dew nor rain these years, but according to my word, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that's before Jordan. It shall be that when thou drink of the brook, as I have commanded, ravens are going to feed you there. So he went, he did the word of the Lord. He went down by the brook Cherith as it is by Jordan. The ravens brought him bread, flesh in the morning. The prophet gave up everything he had. Elijah's just 
turned it all over and he's left everything behind. But God's the God of what's left. But then he loses that. Says the brook dries up and the ravens. The ravens, well, they just, I don't know what happened to the ravens, to be honest with you. I'm going to guess if the brook wasn't there, they saw coming. First Kings 17, it says, The word of the Lord came unto him again and said, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zion, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. And I don't know if Elijah's thinking, well, there's some rich widow with a whole lot. God's sending me there. She must have, like, storehouse. She must have had a stockpile. I don't know if Elijah thought that she was like my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law has enough food for all of us in the back porch. She's a saver and she's got a stockpile. I don't, I don't know if that's what Elijah thought. Surely God, now that the brook dried up, you're going to send me someplace where I'm going to get a little bit more then. So he <clears throat> goes to where God has directed him. and The Bible says, behold, the widow woman was there gathering up sticks. And Elijah calls her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have, I have not a cake. I don't have a cake. You, you think there's a loaf of bread I can break a piece off of for you? I don't have that. I got a handful of meal in the bottom of a barrel. I've got a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. There's not a lot left. But that's where the story gets interesting. Because that's the God that we're talking about tonight. He's the Lord of what's left. I don't know where you are in life, and I don't know who needs to hear what we're talking about tonight. But God is the God of whatever is left. He's not, he's not the God of what you've lost. As a matter of fact, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's, he's got more than you could ever have imagined. But here's what's, if God has reduced the things in your life to nothing, it's because God is up to something. God is ready and He's preparing to do the miraculous in your life if you're willing to let God do it. He's the Lord of what's left. Elijah says to her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. Just a little cake. Whatever you've got left, bring it because God's the Lord of what's left. Bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. And she's probably thinking, the man's crazy. There is only enough for one little cake, and he wants it. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she did, and went according to the saying of Elijah, and she, and he, and her house, did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, 
which was spake by Elijah. God is the Lord of what's left. Whatever is left is enough for God to do the miraculous. Whatever is left, I, we've got more stories that we can talk about tonight. We've got more promises that we can remind ourselves about. Go borrow vessels, not a few. We can tell the story about how the oil fails, doesn't fail. He, he's the God of abs, just what's left. And, and sometimes God reduces us to that place because he needs to be the one to do the work through us. No one, no one runs the aisles during a sermon like this because we're all afraid of what, God, what is it that you're going to take? God, God what am I going to lose? Honey, check the bank account. Get the bank app open. We got a cell service antenna here now. Go, go ahead, fire that up, make sure. It's, it's, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but can I just remind us that when we are down to nothing, God is up to something. He's up to something. He's the Lord of what's left. In Amos 3, God's warning Israel of the enemy's intention because the enemy is the one that would love to steal, kill, and destroy. He's unhappy with just you losing out. He wants you to lose everything. And the enemy will do his very best. And there's people in the room that you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of the enemy's advance. Amos 3 said, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. God paints a grisly picture of what the roaring lion's intention is. The enemy has attacked the sheepfold. The lion has attacked the sheep. But don't miss the heart of the shepherd. In Amos chapter 3, and verse 12, Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. The shepherd is at work. When the enemy has done his worst work, the shepherd is coming. The shepherd is coming to take whatever is left and do the miracle with it. Number one, think about it. The shepherd has hunted down the lion. Number two, the shepherd has overcome the lion. Number three, the shepherd has retrieved the lamb or whatever is left. And let's be real, sometimes there's not a lot left. But if he's the God of what's left, then whatever is there is enough for God to do the work that he needs to do. God is enough. Let's stand together. In Exodus chapter 9 and verse 8, I'll go back to the story of Moses. He's now standing or preparing to stand before Pharaoh. The Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, he said, take to you handfuls of ashes out of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. It's interesting that God, what he required of Moses wasn't that he even take the staff. He said, reach into the furnace. Do you know what ashes are? Anyone here burn wood? If you're like me and you burn wood, it's your, one of your least favorite tasks is taking out the ashes. Because ashes have absolutely no worth. Ashes, there's, they're just a mess. You open that, that stove door and you put that little shovel in and I, I've got a, <clears throat> I just found, you know what, just deal with it, get it over with. 
I usually use a big old dustpan, get it in there and start dumping. And the, the ashes just, there's, they're so insignificant. There's, there's nothing left with the ashes. It's already, think about it. It's already been through the fire. It's the very, it's reduced to its finest level of the elements. There is nothing left with the ashes. But when God commands Moses, he, see, he, he didn't say, okay, Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get uh, a million of the Israelites to come in behind you. We're going we're gonna to fabricate a chariot. We're going to roll in in style. No, no, no. He said, grab a handful, reach in the furnace there and grab a handful of ashes. Absolutely worthless what you've got. He said, but when you go into Pharaoh, he said, you're going to have those ashes. They're not worth anything at all. They've already been passed through the fire. There's absolutely no worth, no value. There's nothing left worth keeping. It's ashes. It's reduced to its final particulate. It's just nothing left. He said, but take that handful of ashes and stand before Pharaoh. You're, you're not going to be able to stand in your ability. You're not going to be able to stand in any level of authority. You're only going to stand with my power. You're only going to speak my word. You're, you're not going to have anything. And he said, throw that dust in the air. Throw the ashes in the air toward heaven. Sprinkle it toward heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And the Bible says that God told him, and it shall become small dust in the land of Egypt. So already we see the transition happens because God only needs what's left. It's already been through the fire. It's already been burned, but it's enough when, when he reaches into the furnace and he pulls the ashes out and he sprinkles it toward heaven. God begins the transformation. God begins to make the change. God begins to take what was nothing and turn it into something. He, he did that already in Genesis 1-2. In the beginning was the world. Come on. He took that world that was without form and void and he began to create with it. God doesn't need your something. God needs your nothing God needs your nothing and the ashes become dust but that dust becomes a plague that begins to turn the heart of Pharaoh God just needed a man that was willing to go in with nothing so God could do something We all wrestle with a sense of insignificance sometimes. That's good. That's the people that God needs. Not by might. Not by power. Not by, not, not by our abilities. and Not by our talents. Not, not by whatever we've got. God just needs someone that says, I just need your spirit, God. I just need your power that rests in my life. Just make me a conduit. Let me be a vessel. Let me, let me just be something that you flow through to the world around me. That is all that God needs today. The Bible says... It, it, it's, it's the dialogue right there in verse 10. It says, they took, they took the ashes out of the furnace. They stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon men and upon beasts and the magicians. Listen, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boil for the boil was upon the musicians and upon all of the Egyptians. God Come on, he confounded the end. Up until that point, the, the magicians had kind of mimicked 
Moses' activity. They had, they had come alongside and said, well, you know, this is what Moses was able to do. Watch what we can do. And, and Moses probably felt intimidated. He, he felt like, God, why'd you put me out here if, if I'm, I'm acting with your authority and your ability and, and these guys that are operating in the, in the, the natural elements or the supernatural elements of evil are doing the same thing. But the Bible says in that moment, when Moses stood before them with nothing and turned it into something, they couldn't, the, the, the world doesn't have what you have. The world will always try and work with a counterfeit. God said, oh, I'm not going in with a counterfeit. I'm going in with nothing. And watch, I'm the one that can take nothing and turn it into something. God wants someone to realize today that he can take your nothing and turn it into something. What's in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? What is your hand, Moses? It's an example. Moses, just use what you've got. A handful of meal, a little oil, five loaves, two fishes, nothing. I've got nothing, just some empty vessels, some borrowed. What do you have in your hand today? We're in the midst of summer at CCC. It's about three weeks until we kick off. We do our fall kickoff. It's 21 days until... OCC plant gets kicked off and we're excited about that about what God's going to do but God is looking for a group of people that will use whatever we've got not what we don't have we're not reaching we're not projecting and looking for something that we we wish we had God is looking for someone that says Lord I'm here use me God use my voice use my connections whatever is in my my hand whatever is in my hand God would you use it I, I don't know what's in your hand to be honest with you I see your phones in your hand a lot maybe that's the staff that God wants to use maybe that's just one text that somebody's looking for Maybe it's just a phone call. God, what's, what's, in, what's in my hand? Maybe, maybe it's your iPad. This is mine. Got the best protective case I could find because I know me. But maybe it's just a, a simple invitation that comes my way text. You say, oh, but I don't have influence. What's that, Moses? I don't have a lot of friends. My, my friends don't want what I have. Oh, what's that, Moses? Just whatever's in your hand. We've got, we've got three weeks until we kick off into that fall season. But I believe that God has so much in store for this year. I've got this press that's coming in the Holy Ghost. This confidence, not born of man or ability, not... Not, not because we've got a beautiful sanctuary. Thank God for it. This is not what we need. What we need is the supernatural power of God that rests in our services. We, we need people that have set aside the next three weeks, 21 days. It's, it's a great time to start a new habit. But I'm encouraging someone that, that, that would say, I, I'm going to take the next 21 days and, and I'm going to 
disentangle all the stuff that's in my life so that God you can use me through the remainder of 2021 God is looking for someone because he's the Lord of what's left in your life would you pray together with me I would like us to come around the altar tonight I do believe that the spirit of the Lord is working you can come now if you'd like is because we go down the old man goes down but we rise to walk in newness of life in that newness of life we've got nothing we have nothing but God says that's the something that I use nothing is the element that I work in form formless without it, it, without form and, and void that's that's the elements that God works in that's that's where the creator does the miraculous God's just looking for someone to say, Lord, I'm bringing, I'm bringing you what I am. But to be honest, God, it feels like a whole lot of nothing. But I'm bringing it tonight. I'm bringing it. I'm turning it over. And I just believe that God wants to do the miraculous with somebody. I believe that God's going to perform miracles in homes. I believe that God's going to allow, come on, the miraculous to occur. I believe that there's going to be an exodus of people out of darkness into marvelous light because someone is willing to stand and say, you know what, this is what I've got. It's nothing, it's just ashes, but God's going to turn it into something because he's looking for someone tonight with that kind of attitude. Would you pray together with me, Jesus? God, to be honest tonight, I... I've struggled to find the words to speak your word. I've, I've wrestled with the way to say what I feel you placed in my spirit. But God, if I'm a recipient of the message that you placed in my heart, then that's the elements that you work in anyhow. God, in the midst of our lack of ability, in the midst of our, God, of our nothing, you are able to work something. You are the Lord of whatever is left in our lives. So God, we bring it to you tonight. We turn over. We yield. We, God, we, we pray that prayer. My life, God, your kingdom. My, my life, but your plan. We, we pray that prayer that you encourage us to pray. Not my will, but thy will be done. God, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. 